Writers have more stories to tell than those that are written on a page. Join me as I talk about my life, loves and inspiration behind my work so far and maybe even a sneak peek into stories yet to come. Hi, I'm Chris Tetrault-Blay and this is Dead Men Talk. So this week on Dead Men Talk, I've got a very special surprise. Well, not surprise because I told you all about it last week, but a very um, a treat for everyone. I've actually got the first guest. So rather than me just talking, sat here talking about me, I've got somebody else on to talk about himself. Um, and this gentleman is an author. He was born in Northumberland too many years ago to remember and teaches history for a living. His first novel was Minstrel's Bargain, a tale of music and horror. The best combination, if you ask me. And he now lives in Newcastle upon time, where he continues to write whenever he can. And when not writing or putting children on detention, he can be found pottering around the Northumberland landscape on his motorcycle, Tanya. Welcome, Richard Eyre. Finally. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Chris. That's okay. No, no. It's, it's, I think we were just chatting. We've... we've Figured out it's been about five years, and this is the first time we've actually properly spoken voice to voice. So uh, it's a pleasure to have you. I think the the first question, probably the burning question after me reading that, that everyone's going to be asking themselves is why Tanya? <laughs> why the name Tanya on the motorcycle? I name all my motorcycles, and uh, Tanya just sounds like a bit of a it's, a it's a bit of a daring name, isn't it? And it's a triumph, so it rhymes. Tanya the triumph. Fair enough. I know nothing about bikes, but I'm sure it's. I've seen the pictures actually. Uh, <laughs> I am jealous. I always said that I would. I always tease my missus that I would one day have a motorbike, and uh, she'd never let me. So you know, never know. There's, 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 there's years yet. Um, so for the benefit of the listeners who probably don't know who you are yet, um, just um, give us an idea of where you're writing journey started so you know what you were doing before what led into you starting writing you know um well writing is is, is always something i've i've done really my whole life short stories uh things like that but i suppose the first well it's not supposed about it the first novel i wrote was point of contact which is now a book uh, I wrote that oh, way back when in the Stone Age, probably about 1989, something like that. Okay. Um, and I, 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 you know, I finished. I wrote it on a typewriter. I had a typewriter at the time, and um, I sent it round, physically sending it to loads of different agents, and nothing back. Um, so I gave up on that, and then I started writing um, another story, uh, and I wanted to write a horror story. I'm a, I'm a huge James Herbert fan, and um, I wanted to write something that was a bit more closer to my heart. So it was a, it was a combination of, of uh, rock music, you know, heavy metal music, new new age. I'm I'm of a certain age, that new age, new wave heavy metal in the in the sort of late 70s and early 80s I was just at the right age I was just a young teenager 
um, and, it, and it really grabbed me. And it still does, you know, all these years later, I, I still love it. And so I decided to write a song, song a, a, a book about um, music, about heavy metal music. And, and I wanted horror. I wanted to be a horror story. And so Minstrel's, yeah. and so Minstrel's Bargain was born. Um, God knows where I came up with that title. I still don't know. I've, I've, I've been thinking about this recently, and I don't know why I call the demon who has become such a big part of my life, Minstrel. But um, there we are. And so the band was Minstrel's Bargain. The book was called Minstrel's Bargain. And again, I tried to get it. Uh, and once again, I, I, wrote, I actually wrote that one by hand. The original script. Well, no, the original script was something like 116,000 words. The, the original book was massive. Wow. Um, full of extraneous nonsense that didn't need to be in it. Uh, again, I tried to get it published. No, in, this was about 90, well, it was 93, 92, 93. Uh, nothing back again. Um, and rightly so. I mean, it was full of, you know, on a typewriter, you can't, you can't really easily put right mistakes like you've, you've made spelling mistakes or a thing like that. Got nowhere. By this point, my daughter had been born, my eldest daughter had been born. And, um, as you right as you know, mm-hmm. you know you you had two at the same time. God, I mean, I, mean, I only had one, but that was enough. And they they drove uh, me was, to, they uh, drove me to writing. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so um, yeah, the, 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 I can imagine that. But anyway, it, it just that was it. I just sort of gave up on it. It wasn't getting anywhere. Point of contact hadn't got anywhere. And so they just these two manuscripts just went and sat up in the loft and I really forgot about them while I got on with life. Um, both my daughters were born and then later on in my life, um, I, was, I was working in uh, a certain car factory in the northeast of England, which you may have heard of. Um, and I wanted to get out of that job because it was god-awful. Yeah. Um, and I decided that I would do a, um, a degree course with the Open University. And so I spent the next four years doing that until I got my degree. And, um, then, and you know, to cut a long story short, I, it wasn't until 2014 that I, that I dug out the, uh, these manuscripts again. And that was, that was really where I met you, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. With, for, the, uh, for the benefit of the listeners, it, um, me and Richard started off with the same publisher and uh bloodhound books and we've yeah we we met through there and we've been friends ever since so uh so what after all those years what made you think about picking the manuscript up again and and continuing and trying to get it published well the the truth is is that my father died you know and um he was a man who wrote lots of was a he was a very artistic man he was a coal miner you know i mean he, he he came from that background of coal mining which i do thankfully i never went from the pit. um but i was really i was looking around um to try and find someone who would publish because he wrote daft little ditties and children's stories and, and he he was an artist as well he, he painted and he drew and 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 i was really 
he, he wrote basically wrote a little story for all of his grandchildren, my two daughters included, but my sister's kids as well. And I was looking around for something that would take that. Yeah. And I still haven't done that. And it, and it is something that I want to do. I want, I want to get that out to people. I know you, uh, as a children's writer, you know, I, I mean, I got a copy of, uh, my little grandson got a copy of your um, A Long Way to the Moon. Well, thank you, um, it's something that I wanted to do. And anyway, I was looking around on the internet. I had no idea. You know, I'd given up on writing. I had no idea about small publishers and indie publishers or even Amazon. Uh, you know, it, it was something that had never really crossed my path. Yeah. Um, but then I came across Bodan Books and they, were, and they were looking for... Um, it was strange because they were looking for the first, I think it was the first three chapters of the first five chapters, and they were willing to yeah. take anything. Was it the first three or I think five? It was three, yeah, yeah, from what yeah. I remember. Yeah. I'd recently um, just transferred those three chapters of Minstrel's Bargain on, onto, uh, onto the computer. I thought, yeah, send it in, I'll give it a go, and, you know, and I send it in, and they said, oh, well, we we'll like this, can we say the rest of it? So I frantically. <laughs> Sort of scanned all of this, all of these masses of paper into the computer and, and um, send it off, and uh, and they said they'd take it on. And as we both know, that didn't, it didn't work out really. But what I did do, um, and I said this to them, I said this to the, the publishers. What they did do was they reawakened that, that love of writing again for me. Um, so uh, that was it. And once Minstrel's Bargain was published, I, I started um, started looking at point of contact again, and it was awful. It was awful. It was the most embarrassing thing to go back over a what well, you, twenty-five-year-old script. You must have done some magic to it, that book. I, I mean, I loved all the stuff, and I'm not just saying this, but I love all the stuff you've written. But point of contact was, um, I mean, it was it was quite different from. Minstrel's Bargains. What I like about your stuff is is you don't just follow one trend. You know, you can read any of your books and they are quite different in style. And I think finding an author that can that can cross genres like that is when you find them, it, it's quite special. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I appreciate that, and, and it is. Point of Contact is a very different um, animal to Minstrel's Bargain. I mean, in all of the Prophecy books. There are three books to do with with um, minstrel, which scan uh, thirty years of really one man's life. Um, yet some prophecy books, as they're called, the prophecy trilogy, they are sort of based on early James Herbert, the rats, the fog, the dark, that sort of um, genre. Uh, and so it has to be sort of in your face, and there very much is in your face, and it's very gory and it, and it but describe. They all have their place. All the, all the things you put into those minstrels bargain books, I I feel have their a little bit like I try to uh, try to do with the Wildermore books, I suppose. Yeah. When gore is there, it's there for a reason. You don't dwell on it. You don't drag it out. It's there, and that's what I used to love about James Herbert's books, same as you is he had this style of, um, there was no frills. 
you know, I, I read some Stephen King and I think sometimes he sort of dances around the point for about 10 pages and I sort of lose interest. <laughs> um, but James Herbert, it's like you don't see something coming, um, it happens, and then you're left kind of wondering, whoa, actually, it's just, he's breezed past that as if it's nothing. And yeah, I would, I would um, testify your books are very similar to that. And it's, it's, what, it's what drew me to them the first time I read Minstrel's Bargain, I think, because it was a style that I was interested in very much at the time and i was hoping to achieve with my own ones so uh so are there any other um influences sort of writer wise with you apart from james herbert yeah um you wouldn't think so but i mean i i, I don't actually read a lot of horror i mean i read a, a, all of herbert's books and i mm. and for me he's above Stephen King and everything like that, there's, there's a Britishness about Jim Turbot, there's a, a grittiness yeah. um, that appeals to me. Um, but I, you know, I read a lot of Stephen King as well, and I, I know what you mean. I write King shouldn't be the bestseller he is because, you know, every time you, you, you talk to any editors, they're, they're saying you need to get rid of this, get rid of this, mm. it's, it's not needed, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And yet he gets away with it. And he is a he's a fabulous writer. I mean, there's some of his books. I actually prefer King's books, which aren't horror. Uh, you know, the Green Mile, um, okay. yeah, things like that, which are just they are they are wonderful reads, and they're yeah. so engrossing. Yeah. But I think even it, you know, I read it back in a bit when it came out. I don't know when that was, eighty five, something like that. Um and. He can drag you into a book, and, I, and it was almost as if I was sort of living alongside the characters in the book. I felt part of it, yeah. and that is a skill. I wouldn't want that. Either. It's an amazing yeah. skill to have, and that's why he is the uh, why he is the phenomenon phenomenon think, that he is. I think that the problem with being a writer like that is eyes are always on the next one. There's a lot of pressure to follow up when you've got a. a bestseller like that um maybe i'm just trying to justify the fact that you know i'm, I'm far from being a bestseller and trying to make it sound like that's where i prefer to be yeah, <laughs> well i think you've with with your move quickly on to your or we'll keep going back and forth but your yeah. new release so by the time this goes out um this podcast will actually be about a week after uh, a life Potato. right is released so um i'll say again congratulations on the release date which would have been by then um yeah. again a life eternal is um is a step away from the horror that i first knew you for and i've had the privilege of reading a life eternal and i was blown away again it's it 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 was it's not very often that I get so into a book that it only takes me a few days to get through, you know, amongst everything else that I'm having to do, you know, yeah. and the reading. So it, it takes something special for me to, to want to go back and, and read it whenever I can through the day. Um, tell us a little bit about the story, what, what the readers can expect and what the main inspiration behind life eternal was. Well, life eternal is a story. It's a story about the man who becomes more. I mean, in, in, um, you know, the basic form, that's what it's about. But I had this idea for a story just to sort of say with point of contact, what, what I loved about 
Herbert, some of James Herbert's books, such as Jonah, I like um, I like the idea of sort of thinking, well, what genre is this? It's not horror. On one level, it is horror. Mm. On another level, it's it's science fiction. Uh, and I love, I like that idea, and I think that's why Point of Contact, uh, which I heavily revised before it was published, um, it remains one of my favourite stories as well. I, I like I like that idea of something that you can't really pin down straight away. Yeah. Anyway, getting back to a life eternal. Obviously, I'm a history teacher. That's what I do now. Yeah. I've got I've got a great love of history and 20th century history, especially I think. And so I had this idea of a man who would become more for some strange reason. Um, before that, actually, I had a, I had the idea of a man who wasn't mortal as such, but he aged very, very slowly. So maybe like one year for every ten, something like that. So he lived for centuries and, and was getting getting older, but um, you know, obviously not like everyone around him. And I wanted to explore what that would be like. What what, what would that mean to his humanity? How how when you when you know everything around you is going to change, everyone around you is going to die, and you're going to be facing the same. Anyway, that was the idea I had. And then I told my wife about it. I said, I've got this great idea for this new book. <laughs> I told her, and then she went. Mm. She went to the bookcase and pulled this book down by an author called Matt Haig. I would stop time. She said, I'm sorry, but it's already what she said. She's not from, she's from your neck of the woods, actually, not mine. Okay. Yeah, well, she's from sort of, she was brought up in Plymouth. Oh, okay. um, Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. And so I thought, oh, he's nicked my story. That guy has nicked my story and already done it, you know. And so I thought, oh, well, that, that idea is out the window. It wouldn't leave me alone. And over a few weeks, just mulling it over, started to think, well, why don't, why can't I condense it? Instead of having it for three, four, five hundred years, because mm. I think that would drive you insane. I think yeah. if, if that was the reality of your life, you would become a monster. Because mm-hmm. nothing would, would make any difference to you. And that was that's the whole point of a life eternal. So I condensed it down, and I thought I would have it for the, in the twentieth century. And I, and I thought I would have this. What is it? Essentially, an innocent young man, at the beginning of the book, who who has been thrown into World War One. This this awful, awful war. Um. Anyway, this guy is wounded. He, sh- he should die. He's bumped in a church, a French church. Basically, just to let him die because there's nothing they can do. He's, he's, he's been shot. Um, and this mysterious stranger comes in and basically touches him on the chest. And the next day, he's recovered and, and the blood wounds have healed. And as the book progresses, it goes through the 20th century and it, and it just follows this guy's life. It's basically the it's the story of, a, of an ordinary man who leads an extraordinary life and it, and it goes all the way through the 20th century and looks at some of the main changes and how they affect the, the protagonist who's called Rob 
um, how he begins to change. He, he begins to hate the ordinary humans around him. And, and really, it's because he can never be like them. And that, that was what the story was about. So it went away from the horror to a more speculative uh, fantasy, if you like. Yeah. Always a bit of history in there as well, which I love. Obviously, yeah. Yeah, what what I think I loved about reading it is you start off. I think all of us think it would be amazing to be immortal and live forever. You know, the things you could do, the things you could see. But I was totally feeling his pain as it went on, you know, and the 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 struggles he was going through, and like you say, that the sort of the loss of everything that was making him normal. And, yeah, you know, and turning him into this, you say this, this sort of monster who hates humanity. Um, at the be- before reading that, I kind of, I probably wouldn't have even considered that those problems would have occurred. You know, that it would be the best thing in the world to to, to <laughs> have to worry about dying or anything or growing old. Yeah. But um, but no, I um, I can't wait to uh, to see the success that brings you. It's it's such a good. I cannot recommend it enough to anyone listening to this. It is. Oh, well, thanks, mate. It I mean, is. It is. Uh, that means a lot. Uh, so it's it's a it is a masterpiece, and I I have tended to to say every time I read something of yours that I think it is the best that you've done. I really truly think up to this day this is it. As big a horror fan as I am, I would happily read this one time and time again. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I mean, you know. It, it came from actually. I wrote a short. I I didn't win a competition. I came third. <laughs> the story of my life. I came third in in a in a, a short story competition. Uh, it was a, a story called Reflections in Silver and Gold, uh, and it was basically just a story. It was the first time I'd stepped away from that science fiction horror thing. I wanted to write something about motion rather than event. If you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and I wrote the story. The story is basically about an old old man in his 90s and he goes back to Rome uh, and, and he thinks about when he met this, this woman in Rome during World War II uh, and she died and, and he's gone back to Rome for a... For a I'm not going to spoil the story. If anybody wants to, <laughs> wants to read it, you can. And hopefully it will be out. Um, I'm trying to put together another... Short story anthology, so that one will be in there as well. Um, the, the idea was about this guy's inner torment and, he, and his life that he'd lived, and he felt had wasted because he, he'd lost the love of his life, you know. And I think that's where Rob Deacon came from. I think, I think basically Rob Deacon is, the, is that old guy eternally trapped in a, in a young man's body, you know. Yeah. And that was that was what it was about. Cool. Yeah, can't wait. I, I um, I remember the is it Hatful of Shadows, your mm. last collection of um. So you you seem to you do make me very envious because you you do seem to be able to uh, to firstly do short stories. Um, I know I've told you before about my struggle of trying to do short stories and they end up about sort of ten, twelve thousand words long and they end up being a book. Um, I would I would I would just I would love to be able to be concise enough to. Uh, to do short stories, and I think starting with Hatful of Shadows, and if you are going to bring out another one, I mean, yeah, I can't wait for that. That'd be brilliant. Yeah, it'll, it'll be. I'm going to, uh, you know, marginatively entitled Hatful of Shadows Two. 
Okay. Um, it's made up of um, short stories that have been in different anthologies or I've written for competitions and not got anywhere or they have got somewhere. So it's, it's a bit different, this one, as there are stories like Reflections and Silver and Gold as well as horror stories, you know, yeah. or, or science fiction stories. You thought about being jealous, Poison in the Well. Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely brilliant. I absolutely loved it. I thought that's some of your best writing that I've read. Thank you very honestly. much. Honestly. That was, um, I'm, I'm finding the ma my main struggle is is trying to write the next one because I, I kind yeah. of didn't even think about people reading Poison in the Well and then wanting the next stage. So, but yeah. no, that that will that will drive me on. It's um, I I wrote that last year. I haven't I had the vision of it being a full novel and then I got really annoyed with myself that I couldn't find the time, and the inspiration to carry it on. So uh, thank you. You know that will that will spur me on to uh, to the next. No, one. You, you definitely need to. I'm, I'm... I want to know what's going to happen with Callum and Zero. Get on with it. Zero is quite a yeah. Zero Morden. I haven't talked too much about Poison the Well yet, um, but yeah, Zero Morden is probably going to be the character with the most story to tell out of all the ones. I mean, yeah. I, I you know with the Tricker Jack, I've got a lot of material. Well, he's another <laughs> We've we've got to um, we got to actually get together at some point and do this minstrel trick or jack. Um, oh, yeah, said about. absolutely. So uh, on that, um, are there any plans to bring minstrel back? Any more in the in the back of your mind? There is. I was at the end of the last book. I was I made sure I thought now I'm going to kill him off because I'm sick of him. I'm sick <laughs> of writing about the same characters, and so. Um, but I do miss Minstrel. I like him. He's he's uh, he's so purely evil that you know. I just think. Yeah. I, I try to bring in a little bit of reasoning in the last book for his for his just his absolute hatred for humanity. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I would like to do something. I've got this idea. Sorry, I've got this idea of. Maybe it's just a short story, or, or maybe it's a little uh, novella, mm. like Poison in the Well, sort of. Maybe it's that same sort of length. Mm. Set in the 60s in America, you know, in sort of San Francisco with the, the hippies and the uh, that would be flower power. Yeah, and him and Minstrel being a, one of these, you know, um, what was it called? I, you know, it's completely fallen out of my head. Um, uh, Forget about I know, it. I but, think I don't even I can't find the word either. I know I think of that. Yeah. Anyway, that's, um, that's what I thought, because I thought hippies would be good to kill. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that that could almost be like not not necessarily an origin story, but you know, like yeah, like a prequel sort of you know, this yeah, is just a little before. addition. Yeah, yeah. That would be cool. That's kind of what I did because when I created the Tricker Jack, I had no it was only gonna be one story. Um, yeah. and then I off this family holiday over to the Isle of Wight and the history of Black Gang that I I discovered for myself, I then thought there is something I could actually do like an origin story. And I, I was quite pleased with how I how I developed that, but then there is still about a good two hundred years of his history that I can fill in somewhere, you know. It's uh, Absolutely. I think it's great it can have a character that you can go back to. You can either leave alone and he's told his story or you can you've got the freedom to go back to it. Sort of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
So well, I think a strong characters, Minstrel and Trickerjack, are both very um, strong characters that you can drop into lots and lots of different situations, and, and it would work. Yeah. Um, and this is why we, we do really need to get together. And I, th- I, I think we do. Yeah. I mean, we, we maybe yeah. we should just start writing just stuff, pass it back and forth to each other. Um, sure, yeah. You know, let's not waste any more time. We've been talking about it for about three years. So <laughs> no rush. No rush. So what was the main inspiration behind going back to, uh, to Minstrel's Bargain? The, the, the character of Kit Bizarre or the band as a whole, Minstrel's Bargain. Was there one in particular that, that you were trying to base that on? It's based on a lot, you know, the big bizarre especially. I think um, out of all of the, basically, Minstrel takes over the bodies of, of different people. And in the first in Minstrel, and it is set in the late 80s. Um, so big bizarre, I suppose, is, is sort of based on, somebody wrote, there was, there was some, somebody wrote a review, and for them, it was always like a Jim, like a dark Jim Morrison, they said. Okay. And I can sort of see that. I think that the in-your-face minstrel, as he, when he actually sort of emerges, that was that was Gene Simmons from Kiss, you know, 100% oh, persona of yeah. the demon. Yeah. I'm a huge Kiss fan. Really? Um, I think that's where it came from. But it, I think he's made up of... What's the word? Not a conglomerate, mixing together of lots of yeah. different Aussies in there. Obviously, you know, um, just all these different sort of personalities that, that were big in the eighties. If you, if you, if it you, was, like. it's a great time to base it on. You know, it, 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 yeah. I, I didn't. I mean, I'm, I'm an eighties child, but I was wasn't into that music at the time. But you can't beat that era. You know, no. any any kind of I'll let you know a secret. The only reason the first book is based in 1988 is because I, I wrote it in 1990 and I couldn't be bothered to sort of bring it up to date. And I thought, hang on, well, I don't want to set it in the late 80s because everything that I'd written was sort of at the time, you know? Yeah. So yeah. there we go. <laughs> I was thinking, actually, I think the, the inspiration sort of they talk about the inspiration behind your character the, the trick of jack one is come to the fore again with me the last couple of days because i realized uh where the main inspiration probably came from that character was uh how i envisioned envisioned the trick of jack was through gene wilder's willy wonka yeah um that's a, because that's how i think of him is it? Oh, there we go. Job it's, honestly, that's how I think of them. Job done. So it's an it's, evil Gene, Gene Wilder. Yeah, and it, it's just it's the it's the facial expressions like in that film. Yeah. It's just the the absence of anything in the eyes and the fact that he's saying <laughs> these things and it's just it's not affected him whatsoever. He's just so so placid with it. And we've just um, we've just finished or we're going to be finishing the last bit tonight, reading Charlie and Chocolate Factory to the kids at bedtime. Right. So I've been kind of going through some of the lines there, and I was like, yeah, that's that must be where it is you know i've been i've been trying to piece together where where that character came from so uh yeah that's just reminded me no i can absolutely say that yeah. yeah so um drawing on the stepping away from writing just for a second so, so mm-hmm. you're a history teacher yeah. um i i must admit i loved history when i was a kid it was the only subject i really got my teeth into and it's one of the only things that i really do keep up with oddly keeping up with history these days 
Um, <laughs> well, it changes. It all it changes. Does, it all, does always. Yeah, every day's history. It's it? changing now with um, you know with the, the statues of the slave traders into the um, Bristol in the news. Yes. You know that. That's, yeah. Oh, that's history changing. Plus, I mean, we can, we've been saying it as well that one day, you know kids you know grandkids or whatever will be probably learning about what's going on in the minute this history oh absolutely yeah absolutely um if for so this is this is kind of a, like a conceptual question really if somebody came to you who knew nothing of the history of the human race and, and said to you teach me something that that you feel is the most important event or time in man's history what would you what period would you go for? What 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 would you really think symbolises you know, what's important in our history? God, blame hell, I crit. Um, I don't, you know, I would have to have a proper think about that. I really, I, I could give some glib answer, but I would immediately regret it. Because what I've said, history does change. You know, I mean, you, you had the Roman period mm. where you had amazing technology. Well, the Greeks as well, the ancient Greeks, you know, and the Egyptians before them, and it goes back and back and back. You had, you had periods of amazing technological advances and medical, you know, uh, medical advances. Then you've also got periods after the Roman period, you had... Britain, you've got dark ages, you know, and where things tended to go backwards a bit. And yeah. I don't know. History is a, is, it seems to be a, almost like a spiral. You know, there there are ups and there's downs, and, and we can, we continue and go through. And, and the idea is that hopefully that you learn from your past, but I don't think that always works out. Um, Unfortunately, people at the people leading the way for the rest of us don't learn from historical mistakes either. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes they do, and sometimes they yeah. don't. Um, I think people people are important. You know, individuals are important. So having having people who facilitate change for good. Mm. Um, you know, if you could. If you could quantify it down to that um, is, is the important thing yeah. but I, I don't just, know I just, I just want to put you on the spot really and throw you a bit of a yeah you really <laughs> have yeah yeah I haven't really got an answer for that one That's I'm afraid a, is, there, is there a particular sort of period of time that you, you specialise in when you're teaching or one that you you enjoy more than others it changes it actually changes sometimes I, I teach because the the history syllabus now is is quite vast. It, it covers, you know, medieval through um, right away to the 20, 20th century, end of the 20th century. I with my first job, I did lots and lots of 20th century history. Yeah. Um, the one thing I did when I was doing my degree, um, did a lot. I did a bit of. Um, Russian history, insofar as the Russian Revolution, so early, you know, late nineteenth century, early twentieth century. Yeah. And I always said to myself, God, I hope I never have to teach this. And I honestly spent the first ten years of me teaching at A level, you know, <laughs> Russian. And I grew to love it. Uh, I grew to be really interested in it. 
then it just depends. Again, I was thrust into this, this job. I had to teach a guy. Have you heard of this man, Francis the First? I may have done. I wouldn't. I wouldn't know what his significance is, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> King, of, King of France. He's a sort of contemporary of Henry the Eighth. Okay. Um, he was the King of France then. I didn't know anything. I've never heard of this guy. And so I spent six weeks holiday after after I got my first job, researching him. And, and basically, the, 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 his history or his all he ever did was just get walloped in wars by by um, Spain, and that was it, you know. And then I had to go and teach this A-level group who, out of that class of about 12, I think about nine of them ended up either at Oxford or Cambridge, you know, and, and I'm supposed to be down, coming from this <laughs> village in the northeast of England, and I'm trying to teach these kids about Francis I, you know. Oh, there you go. Um, so yeah, there, there are parts that I love and there's parts that I hate. Yeah, I like the concept of studying history. You know, yeah. that, that's what the, that's what the real yeah. action is. There must be, must be something about Geordie um, history teachers. Actually, I just realised because the reason why I loved history um, in school was the teacher that I had. He was um, he was he was young. He was um, he was inspiring with it. He got you excited about it. And I'm still yeah. friends with him, actually. So if you are listening to this, Neil Bates, you know, you are um, you're one of the inspirations, really, that's kept me um, interested in history even now. So, uh, yeah, there no, must, must be something in the water up there. I don't know. So. <laughs> <laughs> See you, yeah. Or is he a Yeah. Yeah, all right. Well. <laughs> the best so, sort. The done. best sort, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, actually, out of all the, um, the, the authors that I sort of befriended right at the beginning there were three main ones and you were all from up there so yeah. part of the country that i really must pay a visit to when all of this is over oh you've got to more than welcome mind to stay as well thank you mate yes yourself there I'll absolutely take, i'll take you up on that i will yeah it's um because my uh my publisher for um the world of more apocalypse um, yeah david mccaffrey at Britain's next bestseller up there as well, so I'll, uh, I'll, right. have to, I'll have to do a writing tour or something and sort of pop up. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so we briefly touched on it. I'll, I'll, I'll wind it down with a couple sort of final questions um, back yeah. to the writing. So we've touched on so, sort of some ideas that you've got. Is there anything else sort of concrete in the pipeline following um, Life Eternal that you're working on? Yeah, it's been, I don't know what you've been like, but this um, coronavirus and, the, and the, the, the way things are at the minute completely has just bamboozled my writing. Mm. I can't. Same here. I haven't been able to really concentrate at all. Uh, and I, I consciously thought, right, I've got to do something. Um, so I've, I've written a short story, which I've just about finished, only a couple of thousand words. Mm. Um, it's, it's actually based on an experience I had when I was a kid in you know, in my hometown in Northumberland back in 1978, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so I've written it, and it was good because it's got this sort of um, creative juices flowing cool. again. Um, before that, and, and I want to go back to it now, I've written about 11,000, 10, 11,000 words uh, of hopefully a new story. Provisionally, entitled, I've called it godlike, but I think it'll probably change. And again, it's it's a 
of a it's a bit of a change from it's not horror, uh, more again more sort of speculative about basically about two strangers, two men who find themselves connected after a car crash. I don't know if you remember, I wrote the opening chapter more than a year ago um, and put it on Facebook. You know, it was just something I was working on then and I've dug into it every now and again. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm working on. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a, something, it's basically, it's about what is, what is good and what is bad. Can you, can you defend a good outcome by a bad um, action. Okay. And that's, that's, that's what it's... That, that's the brand uh, where I'm, you know, what it's tackling. But I've written about 11,000 words and it's, it's a bit of a mystery, a bit of speculative, like I said. And so hopefully, um, hopefully it'll come to something. Look forward to that. I'm working on now. Is that going to be a full novel, do you think, or a novella? Or... Yeah, yeah, that's the full novel I'm, I'm working on. Like I say, I'm... I'm I often find a short story tell. When I was writing uh, the second prophecy book, Minstrel's Renaissance, I went through a period of real writer's block. I couldn't think how this, how to move the story on. And so I gave up on it and I ended up writing most of the stories for A Hat Full of Shadows. Uh, and that got, me, that got me back into the, uh, into the book again. Um, I think, in my opinion, Renaissance is the best of the three. It's my favourite of the three, I think. Um, I think writing those short stories helped me helped me get, get back into the saddle, if you like, yeah. of, um, of writing. That's brilliant. I, I've just recently um, um, recorded, which will be next week's show, talking about Of Gods and Insects, and it's it occurred mm. to me only when I was sat talking um, talking about it how disconnected i was from that book it's the, it's the last one and it should have been the most important one and the most memorable but i i don't have an affinity with it mainly because i think well, it, it went through so many changes i didn't i started it off i didn't realize where i wanted to end end the series i thought there was there was yeah. a lot of pressure on that maybe it was i i didn't write the ending that i think i should have done um or the fact that i've published it and they've never gone back to it so it's, right. it's 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 definitely um it's good to have your your favorites of what you've written i think and what and for the reasons why they're most important yeah um but whether i've missed a trick with with that one no i don't think so like i say i mean the last prophecy for me it's it's it wraps everything up hmm. and that's you know that's fine yeah for me, the writing, I think, writing in uh, the second one is the best out of all of them, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, and I like, I like the cadence of the whole story. It seems to, it seems to rattle through. Yeah. Like point of contact, you know. I like, um, I like where that works as a, as a slow starts off as a mystery. But I think that's about the last third of the book is pretty much action packed you know which yeah. is and, you, and, and it's fast paced and I, I quite like that I think you're, and again you're building when I'm you, sorry when, when you build when you're right in the middle book and you're building towards you kind of you've got the it's one of the points I made with Sony Season I think the first book you lay in the groundwork the last book you've got the pressure of 
ending it in the middle you can have some fun with that because yeah. you can really you can leave it on a like you say an action sequence that gets people want wanting the last one yeah 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 no, I... it's I, I, I compared it rather grandly to um empire strikes back you know you have to have you have to have a link to the first one yeah but hook for the third one as well yeah you know and we all know how the third one with <laughs> 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 the ewoks <laughs> um, it's, I've, I've never a massive Star Wars fan but the I, I remember still being inspired by Revenge of the Sith oddly enough yeah. it's, that, it's that moment when Anakin becomes or is becoming yeah. Darth Vader and that's, that's something yeah. that I've, I took into Acolyte when I was um, sort of telling Lucas Samwell into the Reaper at that point, sort of telling his story. Yeah. It was exactly the same kind of thing because I thought, you know, this guy turns bad, but you still feel really affected by the process in which it happens. So, yeah, absolutely. It's it's that is that good and bad, isn't it? It's that what makes one person go down a certain route. Exactly. Um, yeah. And sometimes it's I almost like I almost try and have a little bit of. Um, reasoning for it. There's no cartoon buddies, you know, just pure evil. I don't think they exist. No. I think hard people always have one or two good attributes, you know, yeah. in their own mind at least. Yeah. You know, um, and I think if you can, if you can write that, and if you can put that down on paper, it makes things more realistic even if you're talking about something like uh, the wildermore apocalypse or the bargain book you know or even the new book or even a life eternal obviously it's, it's based in real life yeah it's it's this man who has this, this weird strange life and is almost looking at life from the outside he, he can he can't get inside of it he can't become part of it uh, and that was what i wanted to across and that, and that and I always try and find it um, just a little bit of humanity mm. now I did that for Minstrel in the last book there was a little spark of yeah maybe he wouldn't have turned out as the way he did yeah. things would be that different in his one life you know yeah yeah. That makes the saddest characters, I think, when you see what yeah. they, at the yeah. end at the end of their existence or the end of their storyline. You know, yeah, just one little thing could have changed it all. But yeah, you know, that's how it goes. Life in it. It is. It is. Um, one one of the final questions then for me is, yeah. is I I read um the interview that you I think put out on Facebook today that you'd done yeah uh, with your with your new with your new publisher. There was one point you made in there which I thought was was it really sort of clicked with me was the importance of the the title because you had to change mm. the title of it sort of in the run-up to um yeah to release how i mean how disappointed were you how attached were you to the original title i was very attached um because it, it is the essence of the story and that's it, as i said in that interview it's I always come up with the title first. I came up with Mental Bargain. I came up with the title Point of Contact. And they all, you know, obviously they're integral to um, the story. Mm. Point of Contact is about the Point of Contact, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and so it was called Passing It Along because that is integral to the story. Yeah. But I 
think you've also got to, you know, hats off to Burn and Jay, who have been absolutely brilliant. I've had loads of contact with them. I've spoken to them, email virtually every day, keeping me in the loop. And after, you know, the other two publishers I've been with, not that there was anything inherently bad about them, it just, it just seems much more professional and, yeah. and much... I, I really feel that they believe in the book and they believe in the story. You can tell no. that from even even from sort of a right uh, a reader point of view. So you know when yeah. I've seen come through. I mean, they're really behind. There is a launch. You know, you 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 get a sense of occasion with this book coming. Absolutely, out. absolutely, yeah. And the, the heart and soul into, it. and they're fairly new. Mm. Um, but just it was just when I when I eventually went with it. I trolled this thing around agents for a year yeah. and I got nowhere emailing various different people. You know, I really wanted to go with a publisher with this one. I didn't want to sell publisher. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to be with a publisher. Yeah. Um, I thought it deserved it. You know, I think it, I, personally, I think it is a decent story. And, oh, it is fantastic. I can't and wait. So Bernard, yeah. And so Bernard Chair had been, I've been, can't fault them. They've been really, really, really good. And uh, yeah, because they're so professional, I, there was a lot of editing, and I had to change a fair few things about. And it's, but it's difficult. It's hard because mm. you know self-publishing. You just get hard. Oh, that's it. I'm, yeah. I'm leaving it in. Yeah. But when somebody gives you a reason, which they did, which Simon and Peter did do at uh, at Burning Chair, no, no, the reason why this changes, I don't think this bit works. Yeah. I think you've got to be enough to just think, right, well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to go with with what they're saying, you know? You got to trust it's worked, that, and it has worked. The book is better. Mm. The finished product is better um, because of it. Yeah. I'm changing the title. <laughs> but I got around that by actually getting the new title in. On a, on a new piece of writing that I've sort of filled in there. So I've still got the, I've still got oh, okay. well, still no. got the title in. Yeah, that's all right. I still did it. I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm sat sort of I'm coming up with odd titles for the remainder because the, the World of More Resurrection, as I envisage it, will still be kind of a trilogy, but in six parts. So I'll be releasing sort of each part in two. All right. And I've already got titles in my head for the other two. And it's just interesting to me because I think I I would, because I've got nobody else telling me any different, you know, because I'm I'm sort of doing it myself. I'd probably stick with those, but then that's kind of made me think. Actually, you know, would I see something different in the finished product, which makes me make that change? Do I need somebody else to tell me to make that change? You know, it's possibly, possibly, but I think it's sometimes you have a godlike this story that I'm and it's never going to be called godlike because it's actually changed from when I first what or from what I first envisaged, envisaged yeah it was going to be about um, so it's probably not going to be called godlike and if and in chair do take it on I can guarantee they'll say well you're not calling it that we're going to call it you know um, but it's just a little thing in me. I don't know what it is. I, I, I like I like having the title of my books yeah. somewhere. 
yeah. in the book. I, I'm very book. much like, I, I'd like to have some something that links back to it otherwise, because I've read books yeah. before. I'm reading one, I've read one by Dean Koontz recently, and all the book through, I was kind of thinking, where does this title fit? Yeah. You know, and um, I, I always like, just, yeah, just even in one sentence, just adding something. Yeah, just in a sentence. Yeah. As long as it's in there, I'm happy. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's about. So this has been an absolute blast talking to you finally um thank you so much again for coming on and um just in closing i have entrusted my weekly this day in history to uh, to you as our special guest today so especially being a history teacher so i'm expecting good things um so what have you got for us richard right well on this day in the year 930 the world's oldest parliament opened which which was the alting in iceland the alting or the alting i'm not sure how you pronounce it it's the world's oldest parliament. Wow. So then Vikings knew a thing or two. Absolutely. Probably more than our do, ours do. That's a separate matter. <laughs> and a good one for writers such as me and yourself. In 1868, Christopher Latham Scholes patented the first commercial typewriter. Oh, okay. Which I think is what I use to write mental cardinal. <laughs> Yeah. I was going to say, I'm quite, quite jealous of that. When you think of you know the classic image of the writer, it's on the typewriter. So um, you, know, you got to do that. That's brilliant. Like murder, she wrote. Yeah, that's it. Um, and in 1979, Supertramp became uh, the biggest number one album in America. Uh, Breakfast in America, that's it. I was trying to read my own writing there. <laughs> Breakfast in America. In the biggest, uh, in the number one US album, which is a good album. It's a good album. I haven't got it, but I like the songs on it. I, I've not listened to a lot of Superchamp. Maybe I'll go and find that one out. No, the be- beauty of Spotify, you don't have to spend any money exactly. to try out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, can listen to your, um, I can listen to this on Spotify as well, which is where I listen to it. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and and yep. Yeah. So, um, any listeners who have who just tuned in, that's a great recommendation. You can get this podcast on any or not any, but most of the main podcasting platforms, Google, Apple, Spotify, or you can listen to it on Anchor FM uh, where it's hosted. So, yeah, no excuse, really, not to hear this in any past or future episodes. Um, again, thank you so much and all all the best. Oh, I wish you all the success with uh, with the new book. It, it deserves it deserves to be up there with the best the bestsellers, mate. I, uh, well, well, thank you. Thanks, thank you for having me on. And, uh, yeah, it really is an interesting podcast. I, re- I really have enjoyed it. I haven't listened to the fourth one yet, but because uh, I've been at work and stuff. But I will be listening to probably tomorrow, which yeah. doesn't make much sense when this goes out. But, uh, <laughs> That's fine. No, uh, no, no really interesting. It's, it's nice yeah. listening. To you talking about your Thank background you. of the books and your thought processes and stuff. It, it is. It's nice to listen to a writer speak about things like that. Thank you. And thanks for having yeah. me on. No, really thank you. Very, thank you very much. And you never know. Have have you back again when you uh, when your name's in lights with this one? You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, hey. You know, think positive. It's it's it is a. I I would say it again to to anyone listening. There's a life eternal by Richard Eyre. By the time this goes out, it will be available. You won't have an excuse not to buy it. It is. It's not to be missed. So. Um, thank you very much. Thank you, mate. Thanks again for uh, for coming on. Thank you. Cheers.